G'day and welcome to On The Road. My name's Scott Gibbons and On The Road is your show. It's a show where we, we travel, we go all around this great nation of ours, we talk about caravans, we talk about motorhomes, we talk about tents, places we can go, places we can see, places we can enjoy and it's just a fun show. So if you're ready to go on the road, I'm ready to go on the road, let's go on the road together, here we go. G'day, yeah, it's Scott Gibbons, and we are back with another show for you, and it's so good, and they're starting to open up. Some of the states have started to open up, so it won't be long before the flag drops for us all, and we can go out there and see our wonderful country again. Now, Snatch Straps, unsealed4x4.com.au, they did a fabulous article about Snatch Straps, and it says the Snatch Strap is a staple item in our recovery kit. Now, do you have one? Do you have a, I reckon everybody should have a snatch strap as long as you've got rated recovery points, but we'll come to that in a little bit. So how it works, how do you use it? Well, if ever one invention simplified the process of vehicle recovery, it's the snatch strap because it's quicker and easy to use than a winch. They're reasonably lightweight and compact to carry in your vehicle. So you can just carry it. It's not made out of metal or anything. It's just lovely. So what is a snatch strap? What do you need to know when you're buying one? Well, most recovery kits will contain either one or two snatch straps. And, and all of those, all, well, all the hardware that you basically need, the attachments, the shackles, the tree trunk protector to use them. And more, most of the good ones will include a good pair of gloves as well. But snatch straps do eventually wear out. They can wear out. I mean, it takes a while, but nevertheless, so it's always good to have a spare one with you. And when buying a snatch strap, it's important to know how much your loaded vehicle weighs and then ignore that and buy the next one up. So when the polite rule of snatching is, if you're the one that needs recovering, then you use your snatch strap. So if you're the one that needs recovering, you use your snatch strap. So that's the norm. So that's why it's best to have one because if you get stuck, because invariably, you'll come across some somebody who's belly down on the low tide mark and they won't have one. So nobody with half a heart's going to leave them there. Nobody. But if it weighs half a ton more than your vehicle does, well, you're not going to use your snatch strap because, and especially if they don't have a suitable recovery point. Now, by suitable, it's got to be a proper recovery point because if you value your life and you value your vehicle, then the nicest thing you can do is grab a shovel and help dig them out, uh, or pull out your recovery board, something like that, because you know you can do more damage uh, if they don't have rated recovery points. So how do they work? Well, a snatch strap's a length of nylon webbing, so it's got loops or eyelets at both ends. It uses kinetic energy to pop the vehicle out, so you're popping the vehicle out of a bogged situation. So they're generally around about, a snatch strap's normally about nine metres long, and they come in various braking strains, and they're similar to a load rating on a cable. So whilst most pre-packed recovery kits come with the highest rated straps, uh, just double check, just do a double check on that. Now the best straps are made from 100% nylon. Polyester doesn't hold the same stretch and snap back property. So specifically, how a snatch strap works is by using kinetic energy. So think of it like using or stretching a rubber band and then letting go of one end. So in essence, it's like a slingshot. It's a slingshot effect. And they can stretch under load by about sometimes 20 to 30%. And the energy stored in them, when you stretch it out that 20 to 30% and you let go, well, the energy stored is enough to recover most vehicles out of a bog situation because it just gives it a big wacko and pulls the vehicle out. But 
Don't ever use a snatch wrap as part of a winching operation to tow a vehicle or in circumstances where intricate recovery moments are required. So never use them to pull out something like a tree stump <laughs> unless you want a tree stump through your back window. Uh, their stretching properties can be dangerous when not used in the correct manner. When they're used in the correct manner, they are just fabulous. But it's for the reason they should never be connected to a non rated recovery point and especially never a tow ball never ever ever a tow ball the power in a rebounding snatch strap can tear off a tow ball and launch it at high speed right in through the windscreen like a missile so people have been killed or seriously injured this way and there's a that's why there's a cable dampener which is used in snatch strap recoveries as well as winch recoveries so a dampener is is uh, a weighted cover, if you like, it's around about a um, oh, foot and a half long and, and a couple of foot deep, goes over the snatch strap just in case, and it, if, if something goes wrong, it will drop the snatch strap to the ground. But snatch straps are really good. So how does a snatch strap recovery work? Well, the theory behind snatch straps, uh, but it, it's... It's super simple, but how do you use one? Well, before you do any recovery with a snatch strap, you've got to ensure that both vehicles have rated recovery points. If one vehicle doesn't, then you're safer trying to just, as we mentioned, just dig it out. Do some road building, grab your recovery boards. It's not worth the danger of a, of a shackle whizzing through the air. Uh, so you've got to make sure that you've got recovery points. I know that's a, it's a harsh thing, but if they don't have a rated recovery point, you can't snatch them out. You know, it's just... Maybe you can, but by golly, it's dangerous and you're risking you and your life and your vehicle and whoa. So prior to reaching for the snatch strap, conduct a visual inspection of the bogging. Look at what is stopping the vehicle. It will either be traction or ground clearance. Now, if it's ground clearance that's the issue, like that is that the vehicle is bottoming out, grab a long-handled shovel, move away the mud or the dirt or the sand or the snow or the log or the rocks, uh, and likewise, it's a good idea to clear a track ahead of the wheels to make forward or rearward progress easier. And all of this preparation means there'll be less stress, less stress <laughs> placed on the recovery points and on the snatch strap. So that'll make for a far safer recovery. So you unroll the snatch strap between the two vehicles to ensure there's enough length. If it's too short, then reverse the recovery vehicle closer to the one that you're recovering. And you're looking at having about two to three metres of slack with the vehicles so and, and have them as in line as possible. Do a final check to ensure there's no twists in the snatch strap. That's really important. Now attach the, snap track, the snatch strap to the two vehicles by using a rated bow shackle or a soft shackle. So through the eyelets at either end and the strap at eyelet should then attach to the bow shackle and the pin goes through the rated recovery point on the vehicle. And then you tighten the pin. And then after you've tightened the pin, back it off half a turn. Oh, that's such a good lesson to learn. You back it off half a turn because that prevents the pin binding in the shackle under the load and making it impossible to remove. Funny thing to do, but you tighten the shackle up and then wind it back half a turn. And then make sure the bow shackle is rated to suit the weight of the vehicle because that rating is also classed as a working load limit. And that should be stamped on the edge of the shackle. So you've got to be careful now because some hardware D shackles, they're not rated and they can fail and they can turn into a lethal projectile. So be very careful. Then you place the cable dampener over the middle section of the snatch strap and all your bystanders should, should be out of the way. And then both drivers uh, should have a UHF communication. So timing's crucial. Now, if a third person's able to coordinate, 
have them also in radio contact but standing well out of the way and off to the side and the recovery vehicle drives slowly forward until the second vehicle can advise that most of the slack has been taken up in the strap and then don't step over a snatch strap that's under tension. Do not do that. You might. That's a bad thing to do. So before any recovery is done, both drivers need to ensure, and this goes without saying, that they're both wearing their seatbelts. The force of the rebound can throw an unsuspecting driver into the steering wheel if they're not strapped in. So the stuck vehicle should be in first gear low range, in idle, clutching if it's a manual, and ready to drive out. And the recovery vehicle will move forward in low range second gear at the already go signal. The driver of the bulk vehicle via radio or hand signal. Now excessive speed is dangerous, so go as slow as you can, but fast enough to give the snatch strap a chance to rebound. And then the driver of the stuck vehicle should release the clutch and will drive the vehicle forward when they feel the jerk of the snatch strap pulling them. Because you will feel the jerk, I'm telling you. <laughs> and the vehicle will literally, and it should, just pop out of the bogging. And once the vehicle is free and you're able to drive forward, well, both vehicles can stop and then be disconnected from the snatch strap. So if the vehicle doesn't come out after the first attempt, have a look, reevaluate the situation, attempt to remove any more obstacles that may be in the way. Consider lowering the tyre pressures of the stuck vehicle to give it more traction if necessary, and then try the recovery at a slightly faster pace. But bear in mind that that will increase the shock load of the recovery points with potential for damage if you overdo it. But, you know, you'll have a feel for it. You'll have... And that's why if you've got a snatch strap, you know, you should go out on the sand sometime and practice this so you know what the shock effect is all about. And you realise what a brilliant bit of gear these are. They are just brilliant. So once the stuck vehicle has been recovered, inspect the snatch strap for nicks or frayed stitching or other damage. And if it's okay, then roll it up, put it back in your recovery bag. If it's dirty and caked in mud, then you'll need to clean it. So pop it in a plastic bag, give it a good hosing when you get home, drape it over the clothesline until completely dry. Never pack away a wet snatch strap. Don't pack away a wet one because they can rot. So bear in mind that straps have a snatch life, and after several uses, only about nine or ten uses, they start to lose some of their elasticity and they need to be replaced. So there you have it, nice and easy, nice and easy. So if you are stuck, then there's someone that you're going to be counting on, and that person you're counting on is the one that's going to get you out. How good is that? So why don't we have a little bit of Johnny O'Keefe with I'm Counting On You, because if you're counting on somebody, Johnny O'Keefe's going to be counting on you. Hey, it's Scott Gibbons. Great to be with you. Here's Johnny O'Keefe for you. Since we met, darling, I've been keeping score Every day I count your chimes Every day I love you more It's plain to see why you're the lover that I waited for I Your smile, your voice, your touch I'm counting the little things you tell me That move me oh so much 
I'm counting your kisses and caresses And cause I thrill as I do For I'm, I'm counting on you I found you The days and nights divine I'm counting the dreams I built around you Because your love is mine I'm counting on happiness forever Oh, lover, always be true Uh, Johnny O'Keefe, I oh, gotta love Johnny O'Keefe. I think he's just terrific. Now, one of the other terrific things is is sand driving. Have, have you tried sand driving? Have you been out on the sand and actually had a go at it? Because it is immense fun. So the biggest thing you've got to do, and this is according to Scott Mason of unsealed4x4.com.au, what they suggest is to lower your tyre pressures. So lowering your tyre pressures increases your tyre's footprint on the ground. So the extra surface area equals a lot more flotation, less digging into the sand. It's the single best thing you can do to improve your rig's capability. So a good starting point for pressures is to lower yourself down to about 16 to 18 PSI. And if you need to, because you'll, you'll know how it feels, if you need to even go lower. But if you're going to lower your tyre pressures, make sure you do have an air compressor with you. Uh, because you, you can't drive on the blacktop. If you, you go down to 12 PSI or something like that, you're not going to drive on the blacktop without ripping your tyres off. So make sure that you've got a good air compressor. You go to ARB, you go to ARB at St Peter's, they'll fit you up with a super air compressor that'll make your four-wheel driving just so much more comfortable for you because you can air up and air down at any time. Now, the next thing is to engage your centre diff lock. So if you've got one of those, it's your best friend because it sounds simple, but it's amazing how easy it is just to overlook that because you want your power going to all four corners. So don't forget, press that button for your centre diff lock. Now, the other thing is your, your ESC, your electronic stability control or your traction control, is your enemy on sand. So you've got to remember to switch that off. Switch your electronic stability control, your ESC, or your dynamic stability control, your DSC. Now, it's easily operated with a little button, and it's located on your dash or it's near your gear selector, and it'll have a pick of a car with two wobbly lines below it. Now, you do not want that active at all, so press it. Now, sometimes when you press it, you've got to do a long press. You've got to hold it in for a few seconds to deactivate it. And you should get a dash indication that it's off. Because ESC is designed to help you make sharp steering corrections without losing traction. So in sand, you don't want anything that kills momentum. So similarly, traction control on any 4x4 does similar stuff in that if slip is detected, it's, it'll either apply the brakes or it'll cut engine power. 
Now, any form of traction or stability control will swiftly kill <laughs> your forward momentum. And you don't want that. You don't want that unless you're driving in a specific sand mode, like a, like a Land Rover. And then, you know, if it's not a Land Rover, then you'll turn that stuff off. Sounds counterintuitive, I know, but that's what you've got to do, turn that off. Now, ESC and traction control, they work by applying the braking force to any wheel that's spinning and also retarding the throttle. So in some cases, it's a great system. It's intended to put your car back on the intended path in a loss of control scenario on the road. But believe me, it's the worst enemy in the sand. So sand is such a fluid surface that tyres will almost certainly spin at some point. So having the car's safety technology applying your brakes and reducing your power, that's the last thing you want. So once you switch off your ignition, now this one's really important, really important. Once you switch off your ignition and you restart your car, your ESC and your traction control will reactivate themselves automatically. Now, you don't want that on sand, so you need to remember to keep switching it off every time you restart your vehicle. Every time you restart, you've got to switch that off. Now, you can turn that feature on and off on the fly. Turn it on and off on the fly. So if you only remember it once you're driving, no problems. Just press the button any time, and you won't do any damage to your car. So that's what Scott Mason says. So we've just got to believe him. He's the, he's the guru on this. Now, do you need to use low range? Well, whether or not you engage low range, that depends on the terrain. So if it's tight and twisty or steep and boggy, then low gearing will be a big advantage for the extra torque and allow you to negotiate obstacles with less speed. But that'll allow you to have much more control and almost always avoid damaging your suspension, your tyres, your bodywork. But being in the right gear is key. So if you're on the wide open sand at speed, you're flying along the beach, then high range is perfect. If not, then low range gearing is your best friend. So you want to keep your engine running in the higher rev range in a sandy scenario. So upshift later than you'd normally would, downshift earlier to ensure that you've got plenty of power, plenty of torque. And staying in a lower gear and having good engine revs is far better than being in a higher gear and having low torque and low power. So if you have an automatic, manually selecting, and it's fine, but manually selecting the gearing to keep your rig in the optimal rev range is say two to two and a half thousand, that's what I do. And that's what you can do. And if you've got an automatic, then you can do that. So sand driving will see your, <laughs> it'll see your 4x4, it'll drink a lot more. Because your sand's a very high resistance surface, meaning that you, you burn a lot more fuel than you normally would. So make sure that you plan accordingly by allowing for extra fuel, because sand is terrible on your economy. But remember, you've got to, you've got to take the pressure down. So a lot of people, according to Scott Mason, don't air down enough. So running 28 to 32, it'll have nearly no impact on in, on increasing your performance because of that pressure. Your tyres will still hold their highway shape and they'll dig into the sand instead of bagging out and floating over it. So sand driving is dead easy with the right pressure. So if you're struggling, then the one thing you can do is let the pressure down. So, you know, it, that's the thing to do. Just the thing to do. Now, the other thing to do is that make sure that you don't turn your vehicle as tightly as you would when you've got fully inflated tyres because you don't want the tyres ripping off the bead. That's very, very important. So you know, lower them down, be very careful, but don't do any jerky driving where you steer too, too far to the right, too far to the left because you might peel the tyres off your wheels and you don't want that. So the whole aim is to extend the footprint and hence spreading the weight of your rig over a larger surface area. And a tyre with low pressure has got 
a longer footprint on the ground. So there you go. So, but the downside is that your steering and your turning ability is compromised. So at, at the low PSI, make sure that you don't try and rip the, <laughs> rip the bead off the rim because that's bad. That's a bad thing to do. But the upside is that you'll have terrific flotation. You'll be able to easily drive over soft sand. And the bonus of running lower pressures is, is just the increased comfort in the cabin because the cushy tyres will help absorb those bumps and things, which is just, that's fabulous. And, and be aware of what tyres you're using. If you're using factory tyres, that's one thing. If you've got aftermarket tyres, you'll probably find that a good all-terrain will be much better. An all-terrain tyre is much better for you. So all-terrain, really good on sand, really good. So the idea is to keep your eyes up because there's many traps in sand driving. There's holes and there's water and there's runouts and there's other people using it at the same time. So most can easily be deliberately avoided by deliberately looking well ahead, judging the terrain and doing this, you can set your four-wheel drive up with the correct momentum, the gearing and the positioning well beforehand. Now momentum is important because sand is a high resistance surface, so you need to build up more speed than normal for tackling steep obstacles such as obstacles such as dunes. So excess speed is not the aim. What you want to do is look ahead and apply the appropriate throttle and build up without losing control and direction of your steering. So that's that's important. But the other thing that's important is to, if you're with a group, then and you're going up a steep hill, like a big sand hill, send the best vehicle up first. Send them up so that they can check everything out. And the other thing they can do is turn around and be ready with their winch in case somebody needs to be pulled out. So that's important. So lots of important things to do when you're sand driving. So you've got to, you've got to know the tides. You've got to know how... Um, if, a, if a beach is steep or if it's dangerous, or how flat, how wide the beach is. You've got to know how to tackle the dunes. Um, th then there's desert driving, which is a different sort of sand again. So whole things. So travelling early in the day is the best. Travelling in dry and hot conditions, the hotter the sand, the softer it is due to the air expansion between the grains. So there you go. But importantly, you've got to keep your vehicle clean. So after you've been sand driving, give the vehicle and your engine bay a good wash, a good wash down. You don't have to use super high pressure in your engine area because you don't want to blast little bits of dirt and muck further into your boots or bushes or seals or joints. So there you go. But make sure you do give it a good, good, good wash. Apply fresh grease into and under anything that's greasable to eject grit and all muck. And ensure you carry out regular servicing, particularly your diff oil, your wheel bearings and your bush replacement. So there you go. So as Johnny Farnham says, and as Scott Mason says, you've got to keep the pressure down. So if you're going to do that, then you might as well have Johnny Farnham singing. Keep the pressure down. Here we go. You enjoy that. Hey, it's Scott Gibbons. We're on the road. Love being on the road with you. And it's not going to be long now. We're on the road full time again. Here we go. Johnny Farnham, keep the pressure down.
G'day. It's Scott Gibbons. I've got somebody really special for you to meet right now. Her name's Jacqueline Bold, and Jacqueline has a company called Bold TCRC, which is... you tell them what TCRC is, Jacqueline? Because everyone looks at that and says, gee, what does it mean? Hey, Scott, and thanks for having me. And Bold TCRC is Bold Trailer and Caravan Repair Centre. So the TCRC, Trailer and Caravan Repair Centre. Isn't that clever? So there are things that people should know about. What about insurance? Insurance is a great topic because, unfortunately, when things go wrong, they often really go wrong. Sometimes it's a little bingle or a little prank. Maybe someone ran into you. Other times you've left the awning out to go into the town you're staying near and the wind whips through and, you know, there goes the awning. Fortunately, customers have had that happen and it's a brand new awning and it's still happened. Um, You know, and other times it's can be full-on catastrophes. Trees coming down in hailstorms, hail damage... Caravan rollovers, you know, it can go from a very little prang and an annoyance right through to a big accident. A disaster. A real disaster. Yeah. Yep. So what things should people be aware of when they're doing insurance? Sure. When you're buying your insurance, don't just go on price. Really read the policy. And I know none of us love reading those (laughs) 500 pages of tiny print, but it's the devil in the detail that gets you. And sometimes just going for the cheapest means you're actually not covered for a lot of things you just assumed you should be covered for. Oh, seriously? Seriously. And customers have been caught out. They, they put their claim in and they think they're covered to be told, no, they're not. They're not either because of the time of the year or where they went or what, what they were What sort doing. of things would they not be covered for that you would think that they're covered for that somebody thinks... That's normal, I'd be covered for that, but they're not. Yeah, look, so a lot of people assume anything to do with their if it's a caravan, anything to do with their caravan is covered by their policy. But some policies don't cover awnings. The majority do, but there are a handful that don't. Seriously. Seriously. Oh no. Also with some other accessories that you pop on, sometimes you're not covered for the accessories you add to the caravan. Now, it might be bolted onto it and fixed onto it and it's well and truly part of the caravan now, but it's not part of your policy. And some oh. of these accessories and toys that we like to put on our caravans are quite expensive. You know, they're a pretty penny. Make sure that your policy Ooh. covers you. So would that be what? Bike racks? Could be bike racks. Could be even, even things like solar. Oh, no. You know, some essential things. <laughs> but perhaps they were an aftermarket. You've really got to be careful of your policy. You've also got to be careful of choice of repairer. And a lot of insurance companies over the last few years have actually removed the right to choose your own repairer of your policy. It's now an optional extra you have to pay more for. You pay additionally you have to, pay. to be able to have the right to choose who repairs. Correct. So you have to opt in rather than opt out. Oh. They automatically opted everybody out and customers get caught. And my, my oh. grandmother herself got caught with it on her car. So it's on cars as well as caravans and campers and horse floats and boat trailers and everything else. So really look at your policy and ask and ask and make sure when you get it to check that you've got choice of repairer. The reason being, you want to choose where you want to go to get something fixed, whether it's your own mechanic or your own caravan repair centre coming to us, going to, you know, someone that you've done all your family vehicles for the last however many years. You want to know that you can choose to go locally and to someone you trust. By golly, I don't know of anyone that knows that, that, that knows that they're, they're, they've been opted out. 
It's wow. unfortunately a lot of the insurance companies and the majority have done this. Not all, but please read your policies and please double check. And if you find you're not, it's a simple phone call to them saying, please put it on my policy, paying a little bit more. It's usually not very much more at all either, but it gives you the right to choose your repairer yeah. and not have to go to the insurance company owned smash repairer. Right. Which means that you don't have the choice. You've got no choice. Mm. No choice of who or how it gets repaired. Yeah. No choice of getting multiple quotes or having multiple conversations to see what you want or yeah. how it could be done. You just get sent to the insurance company's repairer how and when they say to. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point. Good. I'll be checking mine tonight. <laughs> it's also another way that there's a lot of, a lot of people like to support independent mechanics, independent smash repairers, small local family businesses, the majority of them, they're not insurance company owned. They haven't been bought out by insurance companies. Yes. So it's another way that you're keeping the industry fair. Yes. And keeping choice and options within the industry because it's, it's a little bit like the little guy against the insurance company. Yes. It really is. And the little guy helps keep the insurance company f playing fair. Wow. Well, that's just, of all the things that we get to learn... It's mind-boggling. That's a huge one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I was in the same category. The insurance company I'm insured with my cars, I pay by the month, it just rolls over every year, you just keep paying by the month, you get your letter every year that says, you know, the next year's here, here's what we're going to insure your, your vehicle for, and the next thing, I happened to sit down and read it and discovered they had opted me out without my permission of choosing my own repairer. And as an independent repairer, I am, I am very passionate about small business, family business, independent businesses and people being able to choose yes. who touches their belongings. Because you can build up a relationship with a repairer, a mechanic, whatever it be, where you know that you can ring them up and say what's happening and you know that you're going to be looked after but... If it's out of your control, then it's out of out your of control. Out of your control. And mm. this goes Australia-wide. This isn't just a New South Wales thing. You know, there's mum and dad owners of, of caravans and campers all around the country. And if you really appreciate and value and are confident in the person mm. who's doing your regular servicing and your bearing changes or any little tinkering that needs doing And you're knowing it, that the calibre of parts that are going in are the good calibre of parts. Exactly, not... and no corners are getting cut because yes. they're not working to a price, they've, they've quoted to repair it properly, Yes, you want to be able to go and do that. Exactly. Good point. So, in essence, read the policy. Read the policy, make sure that everything you want to be covered for is on that policy, make sure there's no downtimes, no exclusions for if you drive on grass or... There's sometimes there's really random things in the policy. And that your awning's covered. And that your awning's covered, and your accessories, accessories are covered, covered. That you're covered when it's hooked onto your car and that you're covered when it's not connected to your car. Sometimes that sneaks in there as well. So when you unhook at the caravan park, sometimes some policies, you're not covered. Don't get me started on that one. Oh, dear. Right? Fine print. It's not <clears> about the price. And make sure that if you are passionate about being able to choose who touches your pride and joy to fix it, make sure you have choice of independent repairer. All right. Now, if you want an independent repairer, then you can talk to Bold, Trailer and Caravan Repair Centre. Their phone number, just get your pencil and write this down. It's 8544 8114. 
That's 8544-8114. It's a 02 number. They're down in Carringbar, which is just south of Sydney. Fabulous, fabulous people. Thank you, Jacqueline. That was just too terrific. And if you don't check your insurance policy and something goes wrong, then as Peter Allen says, don't cry out loud. So Peter Allen's going to come along. Don't cry out loud. But in the meantime, make a note. Check your insurance policy so you know that you are covered. All right. Here's Peter Allen. Back soon. Baby cried the day the circus came to town Cause she didn't want parades just passing by her So she painted on a smile and took up with some clown And she danced without a net up on the wire
Ah, Peter Allen, don't cry out loud. Good on you, Peter Allen. Now you want to get some new gear. I know you want to get some new gear because we're about to hit the road and you want to get all the good stuff. So where do you get all the good stuff? Well, you go to ARB at St. Peter's. Now, it's the new, the new you got to listen to this, it's the new flagship store. It's just amazing. So you've got everything there. It's at 500 Princess Highway, St. Peter's. It's just past Hungry Jack's. It's on the opposite side of Heesman Suspension and St. Peter's. It's centrally located. It's an amazing store. So you, it's off a service road, so it's nice and easy. And it's closer to the Sydney CBD, the inner west, the eastern suburbs, the southern suburbs. There's a huge parking area there. And they stock a full range of ARB and the partner product accessories. And they got the lot. Chris Lopez is the manager there. By golly, I tell you, the whole team is so proud of this new store. It is just, they've spent so much to make it so easy for you to get your ARB gear. So whatever you want. If you're going off-road, if you're going touring, if you want travel needs, whatever you need, the whole team there, they've just got that can-do attitude for you. So they'll make you happy. So ARB at St. Peter's, all you've got to do is go to arb.com.au and you click St. Peter's and you'll be fine. arb.com.au, you click St. Peter's, you'll be fine. Now, if you want to be fine again and you want a caravan, then you go to paravans.com.au, paravans, P-A-R-R-A-V for Victor, A-N-S.com.au. If you want something really terrific, they've got a beauty in it at the moment. Go to their website, paravans.com.au, click stock vans, then go to used vans, go right down the bottom, if it's still there, it is just now, but if you go right down the bottom, there's a carrier, C-A-R-I-A, a carrier toy hauler. If you don't know what a toy hauler is, they've got a video on there. You go and have a look at this. It's got a, and a beaut- it's beautiful, like you'd think it's new. Got this beautiful double bed, got an ensuite, so you've got a shower, you've got a toilet, a glamour kitchen, a glamour kitchen. Now you've got an inside kitchen, which is just glamorous, as I said, and you've got an outdoor kitchen as well. And then you've got this immense area there with extra beds. So if you want another four beds, you've got them. But if you fold those beds up, you can bring in, uh, oh, your quad, you can bring in your motorbikes, you can do the whole lot. The thing is just, oh, this is glamorous. You will love it. You will love it. So go to paravans.com.au, go to stock vans up top, click used vans, go right down the bottom, Caria, C-A-R-I-A, have a look at the video, tell me if you're not impressed, because I tell you, you will be impressed. And if you want to be impressed as well, then the thing you've got to do is have a look. at. If, now grab your pencil, grab your pencil, because I've got a recipe for you, and this recipe is just a beauty. But before I give you that, I'm going to tell you about a little trick I learned, and this is because as people get older, they get a little bit of rheumatism, and you know when you're doing your, your D-shackles, you're putting your chains on, and you think, oh, gee, they're hard. Well, all you do is get a little bolt and a nut, and you can glue the nut on if you want, and you just put a bolt that fits through the hole that's in your D-shackle. So you've then got a lever. You've got a handle, if you will, so you can do all that, and there's no problem at all. So you'll see the hole in the end of the pin, You put a bolt, you glue the nut on if you want to, that gives you a handle, and the bolt easily slides up and down. But how clever is that? So if you've got a little bit of rheumatism, no problems at all. You're going to be fixing this super, super quick. So that recipe I'm going to give you is is for, it's it's a two, what do they call it? 
a two-ingredient recipe, a two-ingredient recipe. So I call it scamper because it's a cross, to me, it's a cross between a damper and a scone. And it's so, so, so simple. So you take, get your pencil handy. You take about 250 grams of Greek yogurt. You put that in the microwave for about 45 seconds to a minute just to warm it up. Then you get two cups of sifted, so you sift the self-raising flour. Just sift the self-raising flour. That's nice and easy. Then you mix it into a ball. So you, you take the self-raising flour and you add the Greek yogurt and you mix it into a ball. So that's nice and good. So you, you knead it up. Flatten it out a little bit. Cut it into, say, six, six portions. Nice and easy. Uh, flatten those out a bit so that they're about an inch high, about 30, 30 centimetres high. And, uh, or 30 mil high, sorry. And then you just let it rest for about 15 minutes. Get yourself a frying pan with a lid, a little bit of oil down the bottom. Put them in, wait for about 10 minutes, flip them over if you want to. Uh, you will just, these are terrific. Add your jam, add your cream, do whatever you, a little bit of avocado. They are just terrific. You just cut it open with a fork, cut it open with a knife if you want, because... It is just terrific. I did this the other night and I thought, how good is that? I've got to tell you about it. It is just a beauty. So you, you'll love that. You'll love it. <laughs> I found a new love. I did. I found a new love during all of this coronavirus thing, which is cooking. So if you're going to find a new love, then you might as well have Lonnie Lee sing it to you. So here's Lonnie Lee. I found a new love. You enjoy that. And that recipe is just so simple. 250 grams of Greek yogurt, microwave for about 45 seconds to a minute, two cups of sifted self-raising flour, mix it into a ball, make it, you know, knead it all up, da-da-da-da-da, stretch it out a little bit, cut it into six, then flatten those balls down so that they're about 30 mil high, about an inch high, let it rest for about 15 minutes, put a little bit of oil on the pan, heat that oil up, put a lid on the pan, wait for about 10 minutes, flip them over if you want to, make them brown on the bottom, brown on top, a little bit, a little bit, and I tell you, you cut them open, you add your jam, your cream, Whatever you want to do, your little bit of avocado, just terrific. Anything you want, tomato, anything. They're just great. I call it scamper, cross between scone and a damper. But in the meantime, you enjoy Lonnie Lee. Here he comes. I found a new love. You enjoy that. Hey, it's Scott Gibbons. It's great to be with you. And we're on the road. I found a new love. She is a true love. I found a new love. Last me all of my life I, I had an old love
Ah, uh, Lonnie Lee, I found a new love. Isn't that good? That came out in around about 1960, believe it or not. Fabulous voice, fabulous voice. Cleaning your RV. Have you ever thought about cleaning your RV? It's not that hard. It's not that hard. I know we all keep them clean, but there's a couple of hints I thought I'd give you. So if you're ready, you might want to take some of these down. They're not that hard. It's simple. You'll probably just remember them anyway. But the, the number one cleaning rule is to keep it simple. Keep it simple. Now, you might have, you might have a vacuum cleaner. Maybe it's a 12 volt, maybe it's a 240 volt, maybe it's one that's you just charge up and it's ready to go, like a Dyson or whatever. Uh, and and you see them uh, on the TV regularly with the, with Godfrey's where they'll have a special, maybe it's not a Dyson, it's another brand, but so easy, and, and they're just a cordless vac. So that might be really what you're looking for. If you're looking for a little present for yourself so that you can say, hey, look what we've got, then get yourself a cordless vacuum cleaner, and that might be good. One of the things that I've got is a wet-dry mop, and a wet-dry mop, terrific, for cleaning the wood, the laminate floors, um, whatever it be. I, I find it indispensable because you take so much dust inside, so it's a wet-dry. So you get, you get a couple of microfiber uh, cloths, if you like, that go with it. I like microfiber mop cloth. And so one of them you wet, and, and you can use that, so whether you use, um, um, I'll tell you what I've found, there's a little, a few drops of dishwashing liquid in the water, just a couple of drops, three or four drops in the dishwashing liquid. That is so good for cleaning floors, like just amazing, fabulous stuff. So, uh, and I put that with the microfiber cloth on the mop head, and away I go. Now you also get, or you can get, a microfiber dry pad. And that's terrific for just wiping up small amounts of dirt or dust that gets under, you know, where you're sitting and whatnot. Wonderful, wonderful. Good, 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 good thing. A doormat, you've probably already got a doormat, but, you know, is it getting the dirt off your shoes as you come in? Because a good doormat is just worth its weight. It's a beauty. Multi-purpose cleaners, you've got to go through and find the cleaning products that you like. So multi-purpose is the thing to do. So, you know, and, and one of the things you might want to consider is that you don't have to use uh, all the harsh chemicals. Harsh chemicals and, and RVs do not go together. So try and find something that's, um, uh, look, even vinegar and water is such a good thing. You, you go onto Google and you have a look at how to make your own cleaning products and sprays and things. You will be amazed. You'll be amazed. You don't necessarily have to go and spend a lot of money on buying retail items. You can make a lot of these yourself. Just terrific. So that, that might be a good thing for you. But but a lot of them then are, are not, you know, if you make it yourself, it doesn't have to be all scented and whatnot. You can, it's just nice, clean, easy to make product. The other thing to have, of course, and we're used to this now, is disinfecting wipes because, you know, you can wipe your surfaces with those and, as they say, they kill 99.9% .9 of the germs, so that's good. But you can use them in the bathroom. You can wipe down the toilet seat, wipe down the toilet top, do everything, and then they're disposable, so that's good. You can, you know, if, if you've got a fire pit going that night, whack them on the fire pit, they've gone. You don't have to worry about what they're going to do to, to the ecology. It's all good. Uh, and then, so you can, they're an easy thing to do. Toilet bowl cleaner, that's something. You've got to be aware with your toilet bowl not to use harsh chemicals because an RV toilet contains rubber seals and plastic gaskets and, and that can keep the toilet 
really in good working order, but some of those harsh products with a concentration of bleach or abrasives, then they can ruin those critical parts and that's not good. So you've got to be aware of that. So again, natural products, you'll find an RV toilet cleaner for your bowl. Uh, and you'll find that in most places, but you go and have a, have a talk to your caravan supplier or your caravan dealer, they'll have something that they recommend. And of course, microfiber cloths. By golly, what did we do without them? They are so good and they're washable. So, you know, you, and, but importantly, don't put any fabric softener in the washing machine when you're washing them because fabric softener and microfiber do not go together. So, But they're really good, really good at keeping things nice and clean and sparkly and dust-free and whatnot. And the other thing, of course, to consider is that you've got to keep your steering wheel clean because, you know, your hands are touching that steering wheel all the time. And I know since we've been going through this COVID-19 thing, we've all become aware more of how germs and bacteria find different breeding grounds. And, of course, your steering wheel can be your breeding ground. So it's worth wiping off at least once a day and nice and, and keeping that clean and just use one of those antiseptic wipes because that's good. And the same thing with your RV latch and your door handles. You know, when you when you go into your RV or your handles or whatever, wipe those off every day because it's just one of those things we're going to get used to doing, I reckon. We're just going to get used to doing it. So you're opening and closing those doors all day they collect dirt a lot faster than you think. So wiping them down every day, two or three times a week, whatever you want to do, important. The other thing they tell us is that you, if you're using a laptop or even your mobile phone, uh, don't eat at the same time as you're using those because your keypad is just dirt and bacteria like crazy. It's just mad. So you know, try wiping your computer down at least once a week and again, I say, avoid eating. Apart from the germs that are maybe on your keypad, uh, you, you get crumbs in there. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> and then you've got to keep your pillows clean because your face goes on every night, don't they? So you've got to, your pillow slips, you wash those pillow slips frequently. But allow that you might want to also just check your, your pillow. It too might be washable. So, you know, if you throw that in the washing machine every month, that could kill a lot of, or get rid of those skin cells and the germs and whatnot. And then fridge smells, fridges can get dirty quickly from spills and, and old food. So if you give that a bit of TLC every month or so, take out everything, do a deep clean in there, make sure it's all clean and all those sticky spots are gone and the crumbs are gone and none of your food has gone past expiry date. Good, good, good things to do. So there's some hits for you if that's good. I think that's terrific. So I reckon cleaning's fairly easy. I enjoy doing a, a good clean. Like blokes love going out and giving their car a wash and the caravan a wash and their camper trailer a wash and pulling all the things out and making sure that everything's in its place and done properly. And that's what we talked about recently, didn't we? We said go through and take out anything that you're really not using because sometimes we tend to we start to clutter don't we we start to clutter and we we carry too many of the same thing and we don't need it so i reckon cleaning's easy but normie Rowe doesn't normie Rowe doesn't he says it's not easy so if you want to him hear, hear him say it's not easy he's even going to sing it for you it's not easy normie Rowe. you enjoy this hey it's scott gibbons we're on the road it's terrific being with you terrific being with you and, and don't forget if you're looking for a present for somebody bog out bog out you go to B-O-G-O-U-T. If you want a present, go to bogout.com. Have a look. It's like a winch in a bag. You don't have to put a big heavy winch on the front necessarily. If you don't want to, you can just have this little winch in a bag and they are so good. 
so good. You'll feel so much more comfortable if you're going out. And if you're going out solo, oh, you've got to have you've got to have a bog out. So bogout.com, you enjoy it. Have a, go on to their website, have a look at the video, and see how good, how simple, how fabulous it is. And not only that, they're made in Australia. Made, manufactured in Australia, Australian owners. It's just fabulous. So here we go. Normie Row, it's not easy. You enjoy that. Hey, it's Scott Gibbons. We're on the road. Normie Row. We do love Normie Row, don't we? We do love Normie Row. God, he got a good voice. Good voice. So if you're going four-wheel driving, and we're going to be doing that, we are going to be doing it, then bulldust can be a real, real downfall. It can be really bad for you. So an article called Battling Dust in Camper Trailer Lifestyle 
they they talk about it and it just makes so much sense and and the most important thing to do is to drive safely because a, a lack of traction is one of the things that catches a lot of unsuspecting drivers out on the dirt roads especially when there's ball dust around so if you chuck in a few unexpected corrugations some ball dust patches some dips or wandering stock and you've literally got a recipe for disaster. So what can you do? Well, keeping your speed to a more manageable pace, well, that's a good start. That's a good thing to do. But if things, if you don't do things right, they can go all pear-shaped and all of a sudden you've been locked away with the CV19 and you're going to be locked away because you won't have your four-wheel drive maybe. So keep the speed safe. And that you, you wouldn't go and put a blindfold on and try and drive your car but if you try and follow somebody else in their dust it's just the same thing it's just, that's mad it's just the same thing a lot of blokes think oh look how clever i am i'm keeping up with him and i've got all this dust coming in well it's not doing you any good it's sure not doing your car any good because it's breathing in all that dust and you get too much dust in your air filter and you can blow an engine so you know it doesn't matter if you keep back a little bit and if it's a mate in front You've probably got him on UHF anyway. I hope you've got him on UHF anyway. So, you know, and the other thing you've got to be careful of is the combination of ball dust and off-camber road surface because that can be just bad news. So you've got to beat the ball dust. So an epic adventure of the cloud, the ball dust and the dirty brown tinge on your, on your four-wheel drive, it looks good. It does look good. But, you know, you can have a real problem. So negotiating ball dust can be really, really scary, especially if you're not expecting it. Because the problems when your tyres hit the soft stuff, the amount of resistance encountered intensifies, acting a bit like a brake. And with all that momentum still pushing you forward and the back of your vehicle tends to step out sideways, and yeah, that, if there's a tree handy, you might just find it. So it's best just, again, back off, go at a safe speed. So if your vehicle jolts around a bit, Avoid aggressively swinging on the steering wheel <laughs> and instead just ease off the throttle and it should guide you back into shape. Well, we sure hope so anyway. So, and you've got to be aware when, uh, when the dirt, you know, when the, yeah, when the bull dust gets wet, it's just like driving through grease. So it can just cause chaos. So be aware of that. So to keep... Uh, corrosion at bay and, and parts from seizing up you regularly apart from uh, when the bulldust gets wet driving like grease you've got to remember to grease your grease nipples and your moving parts you've got to grease them it, it does a heck of a lot more than most people realize and and bulldust can cause a lot of damage so grease can protect you it protects the internal components against rust it creates a barrier or a seal to help keep the dirt and water and debris out of your vulnerable areas. And, and if you're about to tackle a lengthy off-road trip, do yourself a favour. We mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Get yourself a grease gun. Just have a grease gun on board. It can make a lot of difference. So bulldust, yeah, be cautious. And the other thing to be cautious about, this is just so interesting. It's, it's one of those things that if you get too much dust on your solar panels, a good thick dose of dust, it basically blocks the amount of sunlight it gets through to each of your solar cells on your panel. So it's important to keep your solar panels as nice and clean as you can. But here's a trick. Here's a trick. 
wiping a tempered glass panel down with a damp cloth in a big wide circular motion as most of us tend to do that can create a static charge which attracts even more dust so it's a bit like bubble gum on your boot if you like so the best way is to use soapy water and wipe it down long straight strides from one side to the other and, and give it a quick shower of water and, and if you get some static then make sure that you give the closest person to you a little zap a little zap away because that'll be it's <laughs> always fun isn't it so there you go a couple of hints for you and i reckon if you're going to drive too close to somebody and and you can't see where you're going then you might as well be a fortune teller. If you're going to be a fortune teller, you might as well listen to The Throb because The Throb do fortune teller better than anybody. Hey, this is Scott Gibbons. It's been great being with you. I hope we're with you next week. Look after our sponsors because they are terrific people. If you want a van, you go to paravans.com.au. They've got some new ones. They've got some used ones. And if you're going to hit the road, you might as well hit the road with a paravan caravan. You look after them. They'll look after you. We'll see you next week. Here we go, The Throb. Love it. Bye. Thank you.